Kat. And I'm Kurt, and you're listening to Cat and Kurt's TV Review. Welcome to episode 43, Can You Stop Me Falling? This week, we're discussing season 3, episode 8 of Buffy, Lover's Walk, and the 2007 Doctor Who Christmas special, Voyage of the Damned. As always, we suggest you watch the episodes before you listen to the podcast. Also, if you haven't done so already, you may want to listen to our first podcast to get an idea of our methodology. So we're starting with Buffy this week, and a very interesting episode. Mm -hmm. You know, it's almost like last week was Revelations. This could be Revelations part de in a way. Um, There's a (laughs) lot of revealing going on. Um, Part de. Part de. Of course. Um, So one thing I wanted to bring up. So the whole episode, it's one of those episodes where, like, there kind of isn't really, like, a main plot and then subplots. It's really all like, you know, you kind of don't necessarily realize it at first, but all of the stories are really Mm. about the same thing. You know, we have all these different couples Mm. Mm -hmm. and they're all sort of, uh, you know, going through various crises and, you know, seemingly sort of everyone's splitting apart at the end. Um, And it's really about this. It seems to be about these issues of, can you ever go back to, you know, either before a relationship or before a particular point in the relationship? Yeah, so yeah. can can lovers, you know, go back to being friends? Or can, you know, can you go back to a time, you know, of innocence after there's been some sort of either a betrayal or some sort of point of no return? You know, it's all about uh you know them kind of reaching these moments of crises and all pretty much deciding actually no you can't go back to the way it was before um at this point anyway that seems to be the conclusion yeah um but the one thing i wanted to start with kind of asking is what exactly does the title mean mm-hmm. um cuz mm-hmm. it's kind of interesting it's not taken from any bit of dialogue that I can think of in the episode. Like nobody actually says these words, lovers walk in the, in the title or in the, in the episode. Mm -hmm. Um, and I wasn't quite sure even what it meant, you know, how do we, how do we understand what that means? Because does it mean, okay, like lovers walk, like this is what lovers do. Like this, is this a statement Mm -hmm. of fact? Mm -hmm. So, is it walking side by side, you know, walking together? Or is it walking away from each other? Right. Um, or is this a walk which is common to all pairs of lovers? Like, what exactly is that title referring to? So I don't know right, if right. you've thought about that, if you have any particular theories or... Well, um, no, that's a really good thing because actually I... I... you're right there's nothing in this episode where we can really point to directly to pull it out of the dialogue or whatever um i do have sort of a theory but i'm actually starting i'm going to start with something that's not my theory but something someone else wrote um ronda v wilcox uh who is a buffy well whedon scholar in general um she's actually the one of the co-editors editors of slayage magazine which is the official or slayage journal sorry not magazine slayage journal uh which is the official you know whedon studies association journal 
of all things, uh, to study all things from the Whedon verse and, and everywhere. Um, uh-huh. But she wrote a book uh, titled Why Buffy Matters, The Art of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, which is, I'm sure, available in your local bookstore of choice. <laughs> um, uh, and and in that, she makes a very interesting observation about the title, uh, this particular title, Lover, Lover's Walk. And, and in there she says, the script um, for this episode apparently does not carry an apostrophe, which makes for a short, sad, declarative sentence um, for a mm-hmm. title. And and so it's interesting because I think you're right. Like, Lover's Walk, as just a sentence, you know, now you you have subject and verb <laughs> right there, right? Yeah. But, but I think you're right. Like, she seems to be interpreting it in, in that short, sad way. Um, and to your point, I guess it could be, you know, a couple, like it, it could be, well, how are they walking? We don't get any adverbs to sort of, yeah. you know, give us a clue. <laughs> um, but I think the clue that we get and I, what I wanted to point to in particular is, is the very end of the episode, we get um, singular shots of every one of the main characters and they are all alone. Yeah. And this yeah. is um not only are they all alone, but they're all alone after the the three main couples, so you got Buffy and Angel, um Xander and and Cordelia and Willow and Oz. In all three of those instances, one of the partners has left the other in like a almost immediately previous scene. Buffy yeah. leaves Angel um, Xander leaves Cordelia after she tells him, you know, to go. And earlier right. than that, you know, before that, we know that Oz had left ostensibly to get help. So, you know, presumably he came yeah, back. Yeah. But that's the last thing we understand about Oz is that he has gone away. You know, what right. I mean? Well, and, and even even though Xander's the one who physically leaves, you understand that Cordy's the one doing the leaving. She's the one right, right, right. emotionally no. making that decision to, and so, and, yeah. And so like in each one of the, it's, it's a, it's a decisive moment of a lover walking basically away from okay. the others that, and so that's, right. that's how I interpret it. Now I'm not saying my interpretation is necessarily the one that like, you know, talk about, authorial intent we sort of you know had that discussion in our last uh (laughs) um you know podcast but but i think i think that those things together sort of uh, you know uh dr wilcox's observations there you know coupled with those parting scenes that we see sort of does give it that sense of this is this is a moment when when we're getting a definite splitting apart it's it's though they walked in the sense of they left something behind and yeah. are going away, not yeah, not yeah. towards. Uh, now, how that pans out, yeah. we shall continue to see. We so, have like, yet to see. Yeah. You, you know, we've sort of bookended the episode with that. We now now we have to sort of talk about what happens between those bookends. However, right. before yes. we do that, I did want to okay. mention a couple things. Yeah. First of all, um, this episode was actually nominated for an Emmy Award um, for of all things, the outstanding sound editing. Um, so, okay. you know, that's cool. Hey, yeah. Awesome. Um, <laughs> it, it was nominated. It did not win. Um, it actually lost to an ER episode, um, but you know, still cool. Got nominated. Yeah. Um, great. The episode was actually written by Dan Weber. Uh, and he writes one other episode this season. Um, 
which is also <laughs> nominated for a Buffy uh, or not nominated for an Emmy award for a Buffy award. Yeah. For, uh, <laughs> uh, for an Emmy award. Um, but also not for the writing that one's nominated for something else. Um, okay. So whatever, take that as you will. I, I quite yeah. like the episode. I, you know, I think it's fine. And actually the other one that he writes, we'll, we'll talk about later. I, th- I think it's a pretty good one too. Uh, but unfortunately these are the only two episodes we get from him. So, um, okay. he doesn't write for Buffy or Angel or for any other Whedon production that I'm aware of. So, um, just kind of a, a, a two hit wonder. Um, but, uh-huh. but I think as we've seen here, this episode's a pretty good one. And, and yeah, and, it is. Uh, especially because coming in as a, as a new writer with, like you said, this is a really central character driven mm-hmm. mythological. It's not really, you know a standalone it's something where the relationships are all pivoting around this point it Mm -hmm. seems so Mm -hmm. i think he did a really good job considering this is his first stab at you know at a solo script right right yeah and i don't know what other um you know if he was like on a story editor position or anything like that yeah right right i don't i don't know where else in the in the he could be familiar with the story you know but um yeah i I just he may or may not be i just don't know um so definitely definitely some good stuff there um so all that said and actually to to your point about it does bring in a lot of stuff from different characters and and previous episodes and i actually had a list that i started sort of jotting down because i mean we've talked before about how things you know sort of get pulled into various episodes oh this happened last time and so now it's being resolved here mm-hmm. this particular episode seems to me one of the more complex uh episodes that does that and and so i just um wanted to point out like a few things and then we can maybe talk through some of the different characters and stuff but um yeah. like for example so we one of the one of the fewer things is we get the sat results right this has been coming yeah. over a couple of episodes um at the end of band candy Buffy says, oh, my God, I have SATs tomorrow. tomorrow and and yeah. Joyce is like, ah, blow them off. And yeah, Buffy's yeah. like, no, no. And she seems kind of resigned about the fact that she's not going to do very well because of the craziness. Right. But right. now we get to see that that apparently she does all right. So, she did very well. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Not only all right, she did quite good, in fact. Um, yeah. We get other references. Spike's entrance into the town of Sunnydale uh-huh. uh, pretty much almost mirrors the uh, yeah. uh and his entrance in school hard um and the exit even um you know is pretty similar he's driving out of town you know then he has drew at the end of becoming part two um obviously now he doesn't but you know there's still kind of that same mm-hmm. fleeing away from sunnydale uh at the end of the episode that you get there um xander we get the references back to the creation, his attempt to create a love potion in Bewitched, Bothered, Bewilder. Uh, he actually brings up the fact that it didn't work out so well. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, now here, and, and well, I don't know. I, I was going to maybe wait to save this when we were talking about Buffy and Angel, but I don't know if you noticed this. The last words that she says to Angel right before she leaves, mm-hmm. she says, tell me that you don't love me. Where, right. where did we get that? That's right. Which episode was that in? Now that you it's, say that, was, that is familiar. It was your favorite season two episode. Was it? Oh, no. Okay, yeah. With, uh, with, I had forgotten with that. With the I Only Have Eyes for You is the name of it. Um, 
yeah, with where they're acting out the right, um, you, you, you know, the, the 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 speech from the ghosts. Right, right. Um, tell me that you does don't love she, me is is a is a direct quote actually from that. Episode. Does she also say something like that when he first changes back to when he loses his soul and she doesn't realize? I'd have to go back and yeah, look. Yeah, I, I don't I feel know like that. maybe this has been repeated a couple times now it, that you say that. But it, you know what? It's possible. It's possible. I just um, I know that this okay. is 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 meant to be a pretty that up, pretty but. clear okay. uh, yeah reference back to that. Okay. Um, and and at that time when they're having that discussion, we also get the same. Uh, well, here maybe is the sound editing where this comes in, but we get the close your eyes theme music, but it's that a, I did notice. It's, yes. it's, and, and, and we've gotten that this season in other, yeah, a couple um, times. Yeah. No, so, that's become like a little um, motif, but it's, yeah, it's, it's very much a variant of the music and it's sort of an even more minor <laughs> variant, yeah. so to speak, like, and, and slower and, um, you know, so, so definitely there. Um, and then, of course, you know, Spike says, last time I saw you, you were fighting to the death and all that. So, you know, I mean, I think not that we haven't gotten references back to other episodes in, in the past, but this just seems like there was just this sort of like avalanche, you know, so to speak, of like mm-hmm. all these references of things being pulled together in sort of a, I almost said resolved kind of way, but I don't know how much we resolve. It's just like... It's like, you know, there's you're starting new storylines with it. It's like, you know, you, you are resolving some things or yeah. or being reminded of them only to like then move forward. And now we have like these new things that we have to deal with. So, yeah, well, it, it seems kind of appropriate in a story where for all these characters, their own kind of past actions are coming back around. Mm hmm. To get them in a way. <laughs> to haunt like, them, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, it kind of is that that culmination of the story so far. Mm-hmm. And then everyone does sort of break apart and then presumably to go in new and different directions. But that makes sense that, like, it would be kind of a repetition of all these different, like, subplots and motifs and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because we do have the characters having to sort of face the consequences of their actions a little bit yeah. or they're f- sort of for, they don't choose to face them. They're all sort of forced to face them. Right. But, right. Well, yeah. <laughs> um, thanks because spike comes crashing in and <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and, and it is funny how spike does become that sort of illuminator. <laughs> well, um, and, and almost, almost like they're all doing a pretty good job of pretending that things are normal mm. until spike shows up. And he brings this, you know, it, the, so there's almost like a transfer of the the uh, depressed, loveless, isolated Spike moping at the beginning. <laughs> and by the time he leaves, he's he did it his way and he's great. And yeah. he's fan. I mean, we'll talk more about Spike, but like he's almost freed of that. And everyone and he's sort of burdened everyone else. You know, because of him well, coming to town, yeah. now it's set off this chain of events where yeah. and, all these couples have sort of, you know, imploded. Um, and he sort of sails off and everyone else is sort of left in this devastated wake. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. Well, and I think, I think you're right to point out that he, like that the others are pretending. And, mm-hmm. and I don't, and I'm not sure it's even like, 
it's like he 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 doesn't burden them so to speak as much as make them realize they're already carrying these burdens and right and, right yeah no and yeah. when i say that i mean more that it the transfer has been like the knowledge of yeah what they're like it's gone from him to them but but not in the sense that he didn't really do anything to create these situations these situations were all in motion before he got mm -hmm. he was just the catalyst for right. the confrontation sure but um but clearly they were heading there anyway you know all of them separately yeah but it it just he does pretty much single-handedly <laughs> you know clear out all of the cobwebs that they're yeah. sort of yeah. not looking yeah. at in the corner so um yeah no well the, so i know you wanted to start talking about spike so let's keep talking about him let's yeah well go I'm, right into... I'm i'm glad he's back i was very excited um yeah, yeah I, i'm sorry he left again i mm. hope he comes back soon because he is a lot of fun um so i mean you mentioned that his entrance echoes you know last times pretty mm -hmm. much like like you said shot for shot it's a direct callback um i was sorry as much as as much humor as there is to be had in his moping, I was sorry not to see Drusilla just because I also really enjoy Drusilla. Sure. Um, so I do hope we see her again eventually. Mm -hmm. I don't know whether you'll confirm or deny that, but... Um... I will neither. Okay, so I'll move on from that. I hope we see her again because uh, I, I, I kind of feel like Spike. I, I, I miss her insanity a little bit is <laughs> <But, laughs> her most endearing quality apparently <laughs> yeah it's what i miss most about her um so and but even without drew spike is just a riot and i think it's that uh you know for an episode which for everyone else is as serious as it is and as you know guilt-ridden and sobering it is nice to be able to smile at Spike's version of that, which is, <laughs> you know, this kind of mixture between like self-pity and, and, you know, weepy, whiny tears and just angry outbursts. And, you know, it, 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 I don't know. I, I just thought it was really funny. He did mm -hmm. a really good job. Mm -hmm. Um, so what I want to say of, other than the fact of how much I enjoyed him, um, I don't know. I The other thing I really like about him, though, is that at the same time as you're smiling and enjoying him, you never quite... You're not so comfortable with him that he doesn't stop being a threat. Right. You know, and like those scenes with Willow I thought were really effective because mm. on the one hand you can't help but smile when he starts to vent to her and put his head on her shoulder and she's kind of trying to comfort him. But on the other hand, you're also sort of aware of how close to the line he's getting and how right. he is this sort of chaotic person who will come in and just destroy them all almost without even trying. You know, he doesn't, I mean, he comes in and, you know, maybe wants some revenge on Angel or wants to cause some trouble, but he he almost inadvertently, you know, disrupts their lives in a sense. Mm -hmm. So you kind of 
there's always that like unpredictability with him, you know, and especially in those scenes with Willow, I think it it you're kind of torn between should I be laughing or should I be really nervous, you know? Yeah. Um yeah. Well, and and you get this I mean, you cuz you get that whole sort of monologue where he's explaining his side of what happened <laughs> between him and Drew. Yeah. And you get this, you yeah. know, you get this very sort of almost Byronic, uh, you know, brooding, you know, yeah. whatever. And you're like, oh my God, dude, just get over yourself a little yeah, bit. Yeah, yeah. And, but then there's that moment where he turns to her and says, I haven't had a woman in weeks. And yeah, there's obvious, there's, there's, the sexual component to that and, and the vampiric <laughs> component to that, which, yeah. you know, right. And you're not quite for, sure for, for lack of a better, you know, metaphor yeah. bleed into each other quite well, you yeah. know, like yeah. they, they, and, and I think you're right. It jarringly because of sort of the humor of seeing him pining over, mm-hmm. you know, his lost love. It's very jarring. And, and I think, Allison Hannigan does a good job of showing that emotion, you know, in, in, in sort of from Willow's perspective of, because she was kind of getting into the console, you know, consoling and Willow's such a kind hearted person anyway. Right. Like she doesn't, you know, she doesn't want anyone to suffer, even a blood sucking fiend, you know? So like, it's totally her, uh, you know, sort of, personality to to be the one to to say oh you know they're there spike and then yeah yeah suddenly she realizes wait this is actually not such a good scenario yeah know, well and there's also that in. element too of her just being you know so too afraid to move just mm-hmm. you know just mm-hmm. just sit quietly let him vent to you don't say anything you know comfort him when he does it just like right don't make any sudden movements mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. so there's some of her intellect there too of yeah. you know just wanting to kind of you can almost see her thinking how can i get out of this you know yeah yeah um the other thing and, and she oh. does a good job too with saying and i think part of that too is making deals with him saying you know i'll yeah. do this but only if you agree to this or you know maybe she did need the spell book but also sending him out there kind of in the hopes that buffy's going to catch him i got that idea that like Right. You know, it it would help Willow out if Buffy were to bump into him while he's out getting the spell book. So you can kind of see her wheels turning of Mm -hmm. trying to get herself out as well. Right. Oh, yeah. No, definitely. I I think that's all going on as well. Um, And and yeah, I mean, she she does come up with, you know, some pretty quick witted, (laughs) you know, ways and and even stands out. I mean, we've talked about just even Willow sort of gaining confidence, you know, from season one yeah. and, and through season two, you know, to be able to sort of do that. And, and now, yeah, she's making deals with vampires, which, you know, even Buffy wasn't very happy about doing with Spike at the end of season two. So, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. like we're, we're, we're seeing Willow sort of, you know, she's not a slayer, but she's sort of gaining confidence and, and learning how to handle, things uh you know these these dark forces that are around um yeah the uh the other thing i would sort of say about spike i guess is um you know now we've get so this is we get him making a couple of different deals with people in this Mm -hmm. uh episode um 
and and sort of combining that with the the deal that he made with Buffy at the end of season two, he's actually seems to be a fairly reliable vampire when you can sure. make a deal with him. Like if there's yeah. something that he wants and you can help him get it, yeah. he seems to be keeping his word. Like I and I don't know how you feel about it. It's hard to say because we don't actually ever see him have to follow through with. Um, you know, like killing Xander or, you know, yeah. doing something bad to Willow because he realizes he has what he wants and leaves town. He doesn't stop to like take vengeance on them. He doesn't, you know, try. It's like, oh no, I figured out what I need to do. I need to tie Drew down and torture her until she loves me again. Right, right. So, oh yeah, they're in the, they're in the factory. I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like. Yeah, yeah. And, no, and, and I think that fits with him because the same thing as last season he wasn't the, you know, now I could see Spike always being someone who is on that fence, who you're not quite sure whether he's, you know, whether to like him or not, whether to trust mm-hmm. him or not, whether his impulses are good or bad. Like, I don't imagine Spike is ever going to go too far from that fence line. But, um, and I could be wrong about that, but I don't ever see Spike as being the big bad in the sense of the, like we talked about, he's not the one who wants to, you know, destroy the world. He doesn't have grandiose plans. Yeah. He is a vampire and yeah, he'll kill, you know, you know, people without even really thinking about it. But at the same time, that's not really his MO. He's, it's just as easy for him to say, Oh, they're in the factory. I don't even care. Getting out of here. You know, he doesn't like, he doesn't value his own villainy that much. Like it doesn't mean a whole lot to him to like, you know, make sure that he follows through on his promise to destroy them. It's more just, what do I need in the moment? And that's really what's, you know, what's driving him. And if he's happy, then he's happy and he's going to go on his merry way. Well, and, and I'll also point out, and then we might need to move on so that we have time to talk about the other um, yeah. you know, characters. But um, the other thing that I would point out is that he he gets his kicks, right? He even says this, this should be a kick, um, out of fighting other vampires. So, like, yeah. it almost doesn't even matter who, you know, who? like, yeah. like yeah. it's, you know, he's just as fun getting into a ruckus with his old vampire pals, you, you know, and that that's what sort of pulls yeah. him through his quote, dark place, <laughs> you know, is, 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 is this fight with, you know, his former compadre. So I would just sort of keep that in mind. Like it, Spike is definitely the opportunist vampire. He, he, mm. you know, has certain wants and needs. And as long as those get fulfilled, it doesn't necessarily seem to matter how, um, yeah, or who. <laughs> but also, if you do happen to get him on your side, it seems like he seems to be fairly trustworthy. Now, I'm not saying I, I'm not trying to lead you anywhere because, you know, who knows? Maybe we haven't seen him enough, you know, yeah. To, yeah. to 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 sort of make that determination, you know, from whole cloth. But what I would just say evidence so far seems to be he just likes having, you know, a good raucous time and and as long as you're not hindering him from getting what he wants, mm. he's seems to be okay with you. And I guess on that note, we should just mention the scene with Joyce. Um, <laughs> because yeah. no, it is. 
I want to. Great. Well, I want to get your impression. What What is he getting out of this? Because clearly, I mean, the first time it was part of his bigger deal with Buffy to you know get yeah. Drew back. So now, what it, is it the same sort of thing, or is there something else going on? What What's your take on this? With Joyce, I think. I mean, to me, the key. And can I just say, I totally called it that he was going to get back inside that house. So Buffy. Oh, yeah. Right, right. Because because uh, when Buffy let him in, when they made their right. last truce, mm-hmm. and then apparently she didn't take, change the lock. So called it. But, Which no reason for, except that she skipped town and probably just forgot to. I mean, yeah, no. Yeah. And then and right. But uh which we did too. I mean, we all forgot about it, you know, yeah, from that yeah, point no, on and un- until the moment. Showed, yeah. yeah. So, um, other than that, the, the thing, I think the key to the thing with Joyce is that when, when it cuts to them, he's telling the exact same story he told to Willow yeah. with, with the exact same words. <laughs> So, which is so typical of, you know, someone who just lost their lover, you know, like they, well, exactly. they repeat the, no, it, and, and I think what you're, what you get from that is that he, in that moment is kind of a normal guy. He's mm-hmm. someone who is upset and needs to vent mm-hmm. and, you know, yeah, he had other purposes with Willow. It's almost like with Willow, he had the other purpose of wanting her to do the the love spell, but he kept getting distracted by his own mm-hmm. moping. He couldn't really focus well enough to right. not. He just has to, you know, you know, rage and rail against how unfair Drew is. And now here, same thing. He goes to get the book. He has a very clear purpose mm-hmm. in mind, and a nice motherly figure is there, and he can't help but pour himself out to her. And she gives him, you know, hot cocoa and sympathy and, you know. <laughs> and marshmallows. Um, and marshmallows. and every- So, I mean, I didn't take that in any sort of nefarious way. I take mm-hmm. that as a sign, in a weird way, kind of a sign of humanity. Yeah. Like that that's no, something, think, yeah. some, that's something, I, you know, I, I, he I, can't help himself. And that's a very normal thing to do. Yeah. No, I I think that's all. Right. <laughs> I think like I don't think that's him trying to worm his way into Joyce's affection so that, you know, it like it didn't seem to have any ulterior motive. It was just that Joyce is a nice mom mm-hmm. who will give him a a nice listening ear. Yeah. So and and, and also which I think is hilarious and kind of interesting and actually kind of sweet in a weird sort of way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I I think that's all right. And when I said what what is Spike getting from that? I didn't necessarily mean a nefarious sort of thing either. Like it, yeah. you know, there's, we've talked about Spike and Drew having the stench of humanity on them, right? Like that's what right. the judge yeah, yeah. says of them. And, and so like, I think that's exactly where we're supposed to be going with this is that yes, Spike is a vampire, you know, but does that mean he doesn't have emotions? Well, no, clearly Clearly, he still has quite a broad range of emotion. And 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 there's, you know, not just the anger and the sadness and whatever about losing someone, but also that sort of human need to feel listened to, to you know, to feel yeah. like somebody is 
commiserating or empathizing with with the way you're or at least sympathizing with the way that you're feeling yeah so i i think that's all right and i think uh and and of course i love that whole scene where spike is sort of mock getting ready to bite her when angel's trapped by the by the threshold and so like but i think what's funny about it is because unlike with willow where where we get the sense that spike actually really might be getting ready to hurt her ex- un- except yeah. that willow reminds him that if he hurts her then he won't get his spell yeah with joyce yeah. i don't think you ever really feel like he is a threat to her no you don't yeah um, well an angel jumps to exactly the conclusion which we've rejected which is he is there for some sort of nefarious evil mm-hmm. purpose right. and you know which from where Angel's standing might be a reasonable conclusion right. to jump to, but but it doesn't seem to be what's going on. Mm-mm. Well, and and of course, but Spike is kind of aware enough of it to joke about it. Yeah, because yeah. he knows what Angel thinks, and so you know he's going to sort of mock him if right, he can. Right. Um. Yeah. Well, and he just likes to mock Angel to begin yeah. with. So like that's yeah. just. Uh. Yeah, and and also so and you mentioned about Joyce's sort of you know, just being a good mother and whatever. But like, there's also, there's also still seems to be a slight disconnect. If we, if we go back to our old sort of levels of, of awareness, um, she she says, I'm confused again. (laughs) Right. Right. It's like, okay. She knows that there's these things going on, but last she knew Spike was a friend, so to speak. Like she, he was helping Buffy. They were sitting there in, in the, in, in the living room together. So, uh, you know, it, there still seems to be she's not as bad as she used to yes. be, but like there still seems to be some sort of like disconnect there, you know. Well, on, and last she knew Angel was the, the was, bad guy. Was a bad too. guy, yeah. So so it it's hard And it, that does seem to be I do wanna put I would I do wanna lay that at Buffy's feet, you know, because Joyce has like ascended a level. She is aware of these things and seems to be open to them. The problem is that Buffy's still not telling her things. Mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. yeah buffy could be telling her okay let me actually inform you about who right. i am working with and who i am not so you know who to trust but um but she's not right so. right right and yeah no i i think that's right she she's not saying that and there's you know obviously with angel her mother didn't even know Angel was back yet, even though the other Scoobies right. at this point do. So, yeah. uh, you know, it is a surprise to Joyce. And you're right. Last she knew she was, uh, Angel was, was bad. So mm-hmm. there's no reason for her to necessarily trust Angel over Spike. But even in those moments, at the same time, you still kind of feel like, yeah, but Spike isn't going to hurt her. You right. know what I mean? Like, like you still get this right. feeling of like, yeah, Spike's bad, but he, is he, that bad like i don't know like i don't know maybe that's naive of us to be thinking we'll see i don't know well i think that's what you know they throw in the periodic things like you know him killing the shop owner yeah just because she's there or threatening to kill willow so i think the threat of it is still there Mm -hmm. you know even though i don't think that's what he was planning to do with joyce like i don't know that joyce was ever really in danger that way I don't think we're quite so far out of him being still generally in the bad guy camp. Mm -hmm. You know, that they still have these little reminders that this guy is dangerous. Mm -hmm. 
you know, and, and maybe can be bargained with and maybe isn't always, you know, he's not Drusilla. He's not crazy. He's not mm -hmm. out of control, but right. he still is unpredictable and mm -hmm. seemingly without remorse, at least for the random red shirt character, you know? Right. So. Right. Right. Yeah. No, I, I think that's all right. Um, I guess sort of to, to end on spike and, and transition into, um, Buffy and Angel. I want to mm -hmm. though bring up his "I maybe loves bitch" speech because, <laughs> yeah, um, right, because it, that is actually, really the centerpiece of the episode. Well, it is, you know, and and it highlights their things, but it's also it's also become one of those, uh, you know, like people who love Spike as a character. This is like this the is, speech, you know. This, this is, is like this is the wibbly wobbly timey wimey. Yeah, speech the, the, I maybe loves bitch, but at yeah. least I'm man enough to admit it. Is kind of like yeah. one of just those sentences Quotable, those phrases yeah, yeah, that gets yeah. quoted a lot but um but he says to them he you know he's he's laughing a couple times he laughs at their the idea that they're just friends and and he goes you're mm -hmm. not friends you'll never be friends you'll be in love till it kills you both you'll fight you'll shag you'll hate each other till it makes you quiver but you'll never be friends love isn't brains children it's blood blood screaming inside you to work its it blood screaming inside you to work its will i maybe loves bitch but at least i'm man enough to admit it um and i think that's really interesting one just from what we've already sort of talked about you know he if anything spike is self-aware mm -hmm. and i think that's one of the reasons why you both can feel like you can trust him when he says he will or will not do something but at the same time you can't ever be safe with him because he doesn't care what anyone else thinks. He knows right. what he wants and he's willing to do pretty much anything to get it. Yeah. So. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of like kind it's of a, a double -edged vampire. Sword. It's kind of a vampire equivalent of Cordy in a way that, you know, Cordelia hmm. doesn't really care whose feelings she hurts, but in a way that makes her honest, you know? Right. Right. Now, Spike, I don't know that we can physically trust him, but like you said, he isn't big on deception. He's honest mm -hmm. in his own way, you mm -hmm. know, and, you know, forthright about who he and, is and what he wants. And so, especially self-deception, you know, which is yeah. why he continues to so ceaselessly mock Angel and Buffy, because they're both very clearly entertaining self-deception. It's, yeah. it's like one of those yeah. things where, like, you know, you just, you're not that way, so you can't stand it when other people are... So clearly being blithering idiots or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, on that note, let's talk about the blithering idiots. Okay. <laughs> of Buffy and Angel. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, well, go ahead. Talk about them. <laughs> oh, oh <laughs> to okay. Put, to put you on the spot. No. Oh, what, God. Okay. What um, do you, uh, what well, do you actually, I kind of want to talk about Angel first because okay. I feel like I... I'm aware of the fact that he's been back for several episodes now mm -hmm. and we haven't really gotten still any real lengthy sense of what is going on with him. Mm -hmm. Like what was his experience? What does he know? What does he think? What does he feel? I, I feel like I'm having, and maybe, and I'm sure this is deliberate, you know, but I feel like I'm not being made privy to, what's going on in the brain of Angel. Mm -hmm. I feel like week after week we're trying to just, we're trying to guess, you know, like when yeah. he comes back, how much does he remember? And if he remembers, how much does he forgive? Or 
even if he forgives, how much does he actually want Buffy to be there? I mean, only a week or two ago, we were debating whether or not he even wanted Buffy there mm -hmm. because he kind of had told her maybe it would be better if you didn't come. So because of that, and, and maybe maybe I'm feeling that way because that's the way it's written and I'm meant to not be sure quite where he stands. Um, and I think part of that is that, or one of the results of that is that I feel like he's giving off these very conflicted mixed signals you know does he want Buffy there or not you know because on the one hand he's saying as a friend I think you should leave and this is a good <laughs> opportunity um yeah but on the other hand then she says all right I'm gonna go home and he said well wait where are you going you're not gonna stay it's early you know or right, right. or at the end you know after he's been insisting you know in the kind of noble way of oh you should take these opportunities for you and do what's best for you when she actually says i'm gonna leave he says i don't accept that so what are we meant where do we stand with angel or where does angel stand with buffy um i think it's an interesting question so i'm kind of intrigued by the um by how much we actually don't know about him at this point yeah so, and I, I mean, and I know you've seen further, so you could maybe, I think at this point it's intentionally opaque. Like we yeah. certainly as a first time viewer, I do not know what is going on with him, you right, know? Right. And then part of that is even just, you know, we haven't really gotten any angel point of view about his experience with the whole, you know, having lost his soul, got it back, been killed, been in the demon dimension, he's come back, now he's got his soul back again. Like, mm -hmm. you know, that is still very untalked about at this point. Yeah. I guess what I'll say is this. Yes, obviously I have watched further, so I know what's coming up. And yeah. I think you're right to be noticing that this is uncomfortable and conflicting, not only for us watching it, but also for Buffy, obviously, yes. clearly, but then also for Angel himself. Mm -hmm. I think Spike's speech there in particular that, that I just sort of read out is one of those moments that we're all supposed to, it, it's almost like he's voicing what the audience, I think, is meant to be thinking. Like, sure. hey, yeah. idiots, <laughs> yeah. you're being yeah. idiots. You know, you, yeah. You, yeah. you need to... You, you need to look at what's actually yeah. going on here. And, and you do get that sense of, you know, well, I'm going, well, all right, then go. Well, yeah. no, but I'm really going to go. Well, okay, yeah. then go. Like each one is sort of hoping the other doesn't do what they say they're going to do. Or, you know, yeah. like, like you definitely get that sense between Buffy and Angel that they just want one of them to admit, uh, mm. you know, no, I want to be with you, but neither one of them's willing to be the first one to do that. Right. And and I think that's where Or or I don't want to be with you. But or I don't somebody like, somebody make some decision of some kind, you know. <laughs> right, right, right. Right, yeah. exactly. Yeah. I mean, I think we both sort of sense that they both want to be together, and that's kind of why I said yeah. the way I yeah, did. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. But yeah, no, I think you're right. It's it really at this point doesn't necessarily matter what the answer is. It's just make a decision. Um, 
And right. I think, and I and I don't know that I would have known that up until this point. But I think by the end of the episode, right. it's clear that that they both want it, but Buffy at least realizes that even them both wanting it is not going to be satisfying right. because of the fact that they can't go back, that things have changed. And mm-hmm. and for them, it would be even be dangerous. I mean, I'm sure she's thinking about, right. you know, right. we, it's can't not even... ever, we can't even ever really achieve true intimacy and happiness because look what happened last time. Right, so, right. It's not even that things have changed, but that things could become that way again. Uh, yeah. You know, become the bad way <laughs> again. Right. Um, and, and I think that's where Buffy eventually gets to, um, you, you know, you said about making that decision yeah. uh, when she says, tell me that you don't love me. Like this is, she's almost explicitly yeah. saying, okay, make the decision. You make the call here. Yeah. Which is interesting because she won't, you know, but, you know, she's still not doing it even by asking that. And he doesn't. He it's silence. Yeah. So it's they still don't ultimately come to that conclusion. But it's kind of like the silence at that point does become a more definitive uh, answer than either of them have given so far to this point. So, yeah. um, No, I think I think you're reading that right. I won't. I, I will say this much. You won't have to wait too many more episodes to go, sort of get an angel point of view. Okay. I'm not sure you'll get all of your answers to okay, the questions okay. that you have, but but it's coming. So okay. so I would you know I and I don't I don't think that's too big of a spoiler to say you'll get an angel focused <laughs> episode at some point here. So yeah yeah. Um. Anyway, one one other last thing with Buffy before we go to the other ones. I. I I was reminded of Martha when he she did her little "What I want from you, I can't have, so I'm gonna go." And I just thought, "Darn it, another pair." I mean, even though the situations are different, mm. there's still that sense of, you know, wanting something that yeah. you know is not going to work out, and so the only thing to do is mm. to walk away. Right. Um. So you, you don't need me anymore. That was a nice, yeah. nice little parallel there. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, interesting. So, I I didn't make that connection, but I think you're right. It it does have a sort of similar feel. Um, so yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Um. Okay, so we do have to talk about the, the other foursome. couples, the other foursome. Um. And uh, I'm not sure what to say about them. Um. Well, w- well uh, let let's take them pair by pair. What which couple? Do you want to talk about first? Well, I mean, let's talk about Willow and Oz because I want to spend a little more time on Cordy. So, Mm. okay. I mean, I think it's kind of interesting to look at Willow and Xander and how different they are because now, and I don't mean to say one is better than the other because both are equally involved in what they're doing. Mm -hmm. But just as a point of comparison, you have Willow fretting and guilt-ridden and coming up with spells and all these things to try to, you know, either alleviate her guilt or, you know, force them to chemically change the situation or something, you know, you get all these sort of... Right, right. Wor- the worrisomeness of it. And Xander, you know, doesn't seem too bothered, honestly. Um, you know, he's pretty openly... Yeah. You know, other he has momentary you know, bouts of nervousness and guilt, but he's pretty openly, uh, 
flirtatious and, you know, not kind of, um, I don't know. Well, uh, paranoid in the way that Willow seems so, to be. So, so soul triptych time. Uh-huh. So, soul triptych moments, right? Yeah. Xander seems to be very much in, in the moment of yeah. being the body when mm-hmm. it's just him and Willow together. He wants to kiss and nibble on her ear and, you know, yeah. be bad. When Cordy's around, he's very aware that Cordy's around and, yeah. you know, is yeah. sort of bumbling over staying as far away as possible from willow um you know so willow on the other hand as you know the mind would Mm -hmm. would be the one to ruminate and worry and fret about all of those things going on so i think that that fits very well um into those sort of paradigms um well so and and i guess sort of comparing the two of them um so let's sort I, I there's another big comparison point, I think, between the gifts. Well, I, I, so Xander sees Cordy with um, pictures of him in her locker mm. and compare that to the gift that Willow gets from Oz, that, which is a very thoughtful thing. So you have sure. both of these, you know, paramours doing something really thoughtful. Yeah that totally blindsides Xander and Willow, you know, separately. Um, I don't know. Like, it's just one of those things where it's like, it, it sort of makes you like, you, you sort of saw Willow and Oz getting a little more, you know, becoming a little closer. Like you always sort of saw them as a little bit going along a steadier path. Mm -hmm. But I think, I think it, we're meant to sort of be hit by the same sort of, um, you, you know, uh, 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 surprise that Xander is when we see those pictures in there. And, and he's yeah. like, I, I didn't realize I was locker door material, you know, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. and, and, and she's like, well, just barely, but you know, that's like one of her less honest moments. Oh yeah. You know yeah, what yeah. I mean? Like, no, it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, Yeah, she's kind of acting cooler than she is in that moment, I think. Mm -hmm. And it is true, like, that's her, that's a meaningful gesture for her because it's a statement of, you know, it's kind of like her proudly walking with him down the hallway. Right, right. Cordy places value on, you know, what kind of image she projects of herself. So Mm -hmm. to have pictures of them on display Mm -hmm. is... Of just as much of a gesture as the kind of gift that that Oz gives Willow, mm-hmm. you know, it's a courty type of gesture, but it's still, you know, mm-hmm. uh, it. That's a very well, Whedon thing: is to set you up, yeah, set, well, set them up with their most thoughtful moments right before he right. kicks them down. And and, he, <laughs> and even the the whole you know the double date thing and and Cordy, you know, again she's sort of resisting bowling. How uncool yeah. is bowling? And yet she does it. You know what I mean? Like it's yeah, it's yeah. It, you know it's that you can see her wanting to do this stuff and how worried she is when Xander yeah. is missing, you know, and, and yeah. telling Buffy, you're having too many oars. Like, yeah. this is yeah. not acceptable. My boyfriend is missing and you can't be having all of these different things that could potentially be happening to him. We, yeah. we need to do something. Um, you know, Cordy, who normally doesn't want to get involved in any of the dangerous or, 
you know, whatever stuff is very concerned and upset and wants something to be done. Yeah. Um, about it. Um, and then, yeah, Oz, I mean, how sweet is it that he knows her smell? <laughs> or uh, or a little disturbing but sweet yeah well i mean obviously <laughs> yeah, no, know. you know it's I'm like i'm just quoting cordy yeah it's it's his heightened you're right 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. it's is this a werewolf thing <laughs> yeah this is very disturbing no it it is sweet he knows it's it's willow she's afraid <laughs> yeah yeah um that was funny you know so so definitely and that's the thing right when you're in a relationship with someone and and you you get to that point where you do miss their smell or you do, you know, or you do notice their smell or, you know, something like that. And, Mm -hmm. and, and you start realizing that there's these little by little, you know, things start creeping into the life that you start having built together, you know, like, and like things like pictures and what the pictures represent the memories of, you know, a fun day at the pier or whatever. And yeah. Yeah. Weed and you bastard. Yeah, and then and then it is that as soon as he smells her, you go, oh man, they're gonna they're gonna catch Some, them. Something's gonna something's happen. gonna happen. Like, cause you you think you think they're just off to the woods to get Giles, but as soon as he smells well, it, then you start to go, wait a minute, you know. And and I I want you know, and I mentioned Cordy as being you know the one who doesn't ever really want to do stuff. I mean. Now, we've seen both Cordy and Oz enough to know that they do sort of help out with the group, but it's always with the group, right? Like, we even get, like, you know, Oz, as Willow goes, so goes my nation, right? You know, like, like, you always get the sense that it's someone else pulling them into the group. Yeah. This is the time now. They're they're on their own. They're looking for, you know, Mm -hmm. trying to rescue their, you know, couple, you know, their other half or whatever you want to call it, you know, and, and this is, this is them on their own and, and they're out there. They're, you know, uh, looking for them. And, and it's just like, yeah, I don't know. They're, they're putting so much effort into finding them. Mm. And Willow and Xander are making out on a bed, you know, giving yeah. themselves, Oh, you know, we get a waiver because we're in mortal danger. Well, yeah. you know, how about you, yeah, how about you should be trying be to true, escape? But you've had an awful lot of waivers, right? You know, up until I mean, now. I think it, we know as the audience that this isn't a waiver about mortal danger. This is an excuse. This is an excuse for something which they've been doing for a long time now. Yeah. You know, so yeah. yeah. Ugh, um, so horrible. very, very upsetting. And then just that yeah. moment, um, I guess the only other like sort of comparison I would have is their reactions. Right. Mm-hmm. So Cordy, Oh God. And runs away. Yeah. Oz. Oz just shuts down. Yeah. He, he, he you know, yeah, we, we got it. We got to go, but clearly we're not going to talk about this. Yeah. Here. Practical, like, practical yeah. and subdued and taciturn. Yeah. And yeah, like yeah. all of those, all of those things. Um, and then Cordy falls through the stairwell. I know. So I think that I'm not quite sure what to think about that whole Cordy fake out death thing, because I almost feel like, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but I almost feel like it's played for a laugh mm. at first mm. because 
you know, and I, I, I will admit that I did, however briefly, buy it that mm -hmm. she died. You know, now, part of me was thinking she can't die. And then I thought, okay, she's going to die. And then I thought, well, wait a minute. I think I might know that she can't die. Like, I think I, I felt like she was in later episodes. But then, you know, I know you've had this where, like, you're not quite sure what you really know versus what you think you know. So I thought, you know, well, maybe and I'm, It's not like we I'm don't wrong. ever encounter people and, who have died. And that was my... That's when she actually <laughs> did, like, close her eyes in that. And we, and we panned to the funeral. I thought, okay, this is going to be, like... Buffy or Angel, like, she might actually die, but that doesn't mean we won't see her again, that mm -hmm. kind of a thing. And then you get the reveal that... So Cordy's going to be okay? Yeah. Oh, she's going to be fine. And and what was, you know, a very somber moment of them reading some, you know, verse or other, you know, and the it, it all just drops out and you mm -hmm. realize she's fine. So I I'm not sure what to think about that because I think... Yeah. Cordy has been played as comic relief right. quite a lot. Right. Um, and so I think it kind of fits with the character that, you know, oh, haha, ha, we fooled you. It's just, it's just old Cordy. She's fine. But it's actually not funny at all. Um, mm. You know, especially when you cut to, you know, the scene in the hospital. Right. You know, and, and you right. kind of realize you that, hear that, that she's, she's going actually... to be fine, but she still has a recovery period ahead yeah. of her convalescence. And 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 the, you know, the emotional recovery emotional, as well as yeah. the physical, too. Right. Is so, she, yeah. What does fine actually mean you know, yeah. for her to be? Okay. So it kind of was interesting. Like, it seemed like the kind of comedy hmm. fake out, which which I don't. I didn't expect to see, you know, and maybe yeah. that's because Cordy has been a, a primarily comic figure up to this point. So maybe we're being sort of prompted to think about mm -hmm. that and mm -hmm. whether or not we should be laughing at her quite so much, you know, that, you know, it, yeah. it's a little jarring to go from what seems to be a joke into the seriousness of what she's going through. Yeah. So I just thought that was really interesting you know and i mean sure. it is that joss whedon thing of you expect him to kill everybody but you know <laughs> i mean we're early enough in the joss whedon career that i don't know that he's so famous for that at this point you know well like, i mean we've I mean, already he's killed we... he's killed buffy and angel but he's brought them back too yeah you know but, we but haven't Jenny... had a lot of we haven't had... no and it's not i don't mean to say that he hasn't had like Surprise. And, and I'll I'll still I'll keep going back to Jesse in the second episode, you know, yeah. of the series. So which no, we didn't true. know that's him. True. We didn't know him at then, but the implication was that he was going to be yeah. part of the group. So can can I jump in real quick? Yeah. Or absolutely. do you have more do you want no, to that's it. elaborate? So th those are just the things I was thinking. So the, So there's a couple things. One I don't know if I would say comedy. Uh-huh. Um there is a sort of black humor to it. I, I will admit to that. I think what we're supposed to feel is a sense of relief. Mm -hmm. um, so I definitely it's played up to make you feel as bad as possible. Yeah. And then there's that moment of relief. And I think, I think part of that just, and this is just me. I've not read anything to this effect. Maybe 
people have written on on that scene i i would be i mean it's definitely a defining moment for cordy as a character because she almost dies so i mean obviously we don't necessarily know how she changes from here on out i'm not gonna you know go right. get in anything like that but clearly but, she but has it's to a change. near-death experience yeah, yeah, so yeah. of course it it does and and a more like a a, a mortal near-death experience yeah a, a one not caused by like a vampire or you know a monster or whatever i mean it yeah poor construction the built you know she fell piece of rebar goes through her stomach yeah. that is so and and obviously the emotional turmoil around why that happened you know it's because she was fleeing after having seen her boyfriend make it out with someone else so you know there there there's all this other stuff going on and when we think that she is dead and see the you know xander i can't see you and you know she passes out and then you see Mm -hmm. the funeral which is a typical sort of visual you know uh note that in movies and television you know it's that that sort of thing um, and I think, you know, this having been like 15 years ago was probably mm-hmm. even more of a standard sort of thing. Like, I, I think, you know, yeah. maybe nowadays we might be more willing to wait another scene to see if they really died or not. But um, right, I think, right. you know, especially in the late 90s, that probably would have been taken right yeah. as we suspect it was meant to. Yeah. So. I think our our feelings at that point are supposed to be, oh my God, not Cordy. And then in that moment, I realize, wow, I've really come to like and mm. think fondly of Cordelia. Like, yeah, yeah. This, like not only is this, you know, a moment where it's a character who we've seen around, but it's actually someone who we've come to really grow to love and and respect as a character. And so I think... I think that's where when we realize she's okay, I don't, there probably is a sort of nervous laughter that we want to have, you know, Uh and and it's been so long since I first watched it. So I, you know, I can't necessarily say that I had all of those thoughts and feelings right in the moment of the first time. But, but I think there is a sort of realization that we're, we're meant to get to, to, oh my gosh, how much did I care about Cordelia now that she's gone? And then, Oh my gosh, how happy am I that she's not really gone? You know yeah, what I mean? Like yeah, yeah. Now, if you sort of laugh at that, I don't I think that's perfectly fine. I think, you know, there could mm-hmm. be a sort of nervous laughter or a, a relief laughter or, you know, any kind of right. other things. But I I would I wouldn't say that comedy is the main purpose of that. I I, mm-hmm. I think there's a couple, you know, there's this sort of meta level with, you know, the whole juxtaposition of a dying scene or supposedly dying scene next to a funeral. But then also yeah. the, the, those feelings about the character, knowing that she's getting to this place with Xander and having seen, you know, those locker pictures and that kind of yeah. thing. And, and, yeah. and realizing the feeling that she has been developing and, and seeing her own humanity, um, you know, from, Again, going back to the beginning of season one, where all we saw was her being, you know, sort of a bitchy, you know, so-and-so. Right. Um, right. So I think that's how I sort of take those those scenes. Um, you know, again, that's upon reflection of many viewings. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, no, so. and, and a lot of that was me still coming to terms with it because it was the first time I was yeah, seeing yeah. it. So um, I think just the, the surprise of it, you know. Mm-hmm made yeah. me sort of kind of 
ask those sorts of questions. But yeah. I think that's that's kind of what I think that is the takeaway because that's kind of what I was thinking when I said that even if our first reaction is to laugh, you know, out of nerves maybe more than anything else, then it becomes sobering that that actually you do care about her and you don't really mm -hmm. want to laugh because for her this is not right. well, yeah. funny at all. <laughs> right, so you realize it, she survived so and you're happy, you're kind but of, she's You're still, kind of yeah. surprised into empathizing with her, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which she's maybe not always the easiest to empathize with. So it kind of works for the character that... Um, that you have to sort of yeah. be caught off guard to, before you can really realize. Right. How, right. Cause how many times you know, are you sympathetic? She might be. Yeah. How many times are you going to say I'm on Cordy's side here? It hasn't happened a lot. Even if we like her and like the right. sort of, you know, things that, that she says or whatever, like there's not very many times where you clearly say, you know what? I'm with Cordy on this one. Mm -hmm. And this is like, I think all of those things leading up to, Right, seeing right. her in the hospital bed eventually is meant to do that, and yes, and, yes. and I think it's pretty effective. Um, yeah. I want to point out one other thing before we sort of. It, I don't know if there was more you wanted to say about Willow and Oz, or if you you had any other. Um, uh, no, characters. no, go ahead. But um, I do want to point out that actually this injury that Cordy sustains, so she falls through lands on a piece of rebar is actually taken from a real incident in charisma carpenter's life the actress oh really um apparently when she was very young she was about five years old she was playing near a swimming pool that was being constructed and um fell and actually had a piece of rebar uh puncture her i don't know if it went through like the same way or how exactly yeah. it happened but punctured her pretty much in the same spot anyway of, oh, wow. of where um it has, and, and apparently, as presumably, she has a scar there and everything, and and so that was sort of the inspiration for the actual injury uh, mm -hmm. in the in the story. But um, anyway, that's just sort of a tidbit of trivia, but uh, yeah, kind of an interesting you know thing about how you know, and that's that's I suppose just one way that actors sort of bring themselves into their roles, you know, can be those sorts of things. Yeah. But uh. uh Anyway. Yeah, was... no, there's, there's, I mean, we've talked about that with Doctor Who, too. There's occasionally those meta moments where the actor might, you know, the actor and the character sort blend of meld, a little yeah. bit. Yeah. 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 Um, okay. Well, I guess before we get to Doctor Who, I know you mm -hmm. wanted to say one or two things about the mayor. Um, uh, so two things about the mayor. One is uh, the definite joke or dare I say tease about selling his soul um mm. he says he'd sell his soul for a decent short game so I don't know I and then he says of course need... it's a little late for that it was a little late for that so right. right which is the real point so you know okay we don't need to dwell on that because I think it's clear that that's meant to make us prick up our ears so we can mm. see if that goes anywhere you know that might be part of whatever political deals he made with these various demons in Sunnydale and, and stuff. So, and, and knowing that at least with angel, it's possible to lose and regain one's soul. Apparently. Yes. Right. A soul is something which can, so be it, it does, there does seem to and, be a yeah. bartering, like, you know, people talk about that, but like right. in real life, I don't know that that's possible, <laughs> you know, but like, at yeah, least in no, the Buffyverse, it, 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 it seems like a distinct possibility. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, it is something which can be literally removed or transferred or whatever. So yeah. that is, that has the potential for literal, you know, literalness, I and, guess. And also may explain some of the um, angst that like apparently, like especially his deputy <laughs> seems to feel yeah. when he's around yeah. Yeah. Uh, the mayor. Um, yeah. Um, and, and speaking of his deputy, the other thing is that he they have a conversation about Spike and apparently they didn't mind. They kind of speak fondly of the troublemaker Spike, but it seemed like last year he wasn't too concerned with him. Whereas this year, uh, things have changed of some sort. There can't be any loose cannons around. So he sends a committee to deal with the Spike situation. Yeah. So, you know, and I I think think, again, just more teases about, why have things changed? What is it about Spike which is threatening? And maybe we'll see whether that committee actually does anything about the Spike situation. So, okay. Well, two things on that note. I think we saw the committee. It was the vampires who attacked them. Oh, okay. You know, I don't think I quite made that connection. I, well, that's my because because interesting because okay. the idea is is that the deputy goes to Mister Trick. But they're ambushing them, and 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 okay. then Mister Trick sends right because Trick we already know Trick okay. doesn't do anything on his own. He he sends people to do. His yeah. Okay. Thing. No, you're right. You're um, right. I don't know why. I think I read that more as just like Spike's old gang having you know, uh, but yeah, you're right. So the other the other thing I would say is that the mayor um, the mayor says specifically, you know, I guess we're past that now in, in reference to sort of looking upon Spike shenanigans. And and he says this year is too important to let a loose cannon rock the boat. Um, and then he ruminates about the mixed metaphor of mm. loose cannons rocking the boat. Um, and I would just point out that mm. we got him saying before to Mr. Trick. Yeah. Mr. Trick's like, oh, what is this, an election year? And he goes, something like that. So we still don't know what's important, but I think it's not so much. I I guess I would just say we can surmise that it's not so much Spike as the timing of when Spike is around. Um, So, you know, I I don't want to get into too much of that. We will learn more about the mayor clearly as the season moves forward. Um, You know, so let's just sort of take that and move on. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Um, I want to point out okay. though, really quick, one last point. <laughs> yeah, where is where is faith in this episode? Hmm. So yeah, um, I'll, I'll just I'll just note that last we saw her, um, she was feeling rather betrayed and not part of the team, and here we have an entire episode without her. So yeah, yeah read that as I, you will. And I and I didn't. I did think about Faith when everyone's talking about how they're just going to dump all Buffy's responsibilities on her and the fact that she's not even there for these conversations or to give her opinion Mm. about how she might feel about that. So you are kind of aware of her absence, I think. Yeah. As they're sort of deciding, just as they're talking about Buffy's future, they're sort of deciding Faith's future for her. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And she's not even really there for that talk. So, yeah. I think that's an interesting thing to note, especially because we know she's not particularly happy with the group. So she might not take yeah. it too well that she's already feeling rejected and now they're pretty much deciding 
her yeah. future for her, you know? Right. Right. Um, yeah. So we'll see where, where that may or may not go. Mm-hmm. And Giles isn't around much this episode. He he apparently gets to finally go on a watch, <laughs> and a watch retreat. retreat. But he doesn't get to go to the Cotswolds. He goes to like the forest a mile and a half yeah. down the road or whatever. <laughs> yeah, like it's and you're, it's like the consolation retreat. Yeah, yeah. Um. Anyway. Uh. Okay. On to Doctor Who. So. Okay. Uh, Doctor crashes in the Titanic. Yeah. I I have to admit I wasn't like expecting like immediate repair of the TARDIS. Yeah, no, it's <laughs> like, pretty it's pretty like, He's like, oh no, I crashed into a big chip. Oh, let me press this button and everything closes up again. And, yeah, no, they pretty much dispose of that, dispose of that plot point in like two seconds. Like, yeah, okay, we're yeah. moving on. <laughs> yep. Um, so I guess we'll start talking about the Doctor because he's flying solo again. Yes. Um, and so, all right, he crashes in a Titanic. Um, you know, it happens to be Christmas time. Mm-hmm. So, which it's kind of weird because we just when we left Martha, I guess I don't. We don't really know what time of year it was. I guess do we? No, uh, it doesn't. But seem it wasn't to be like Christmas, winter or anything. No, but I think we're meant to. I think that the idea is that he has taken off from Martha and is in the time vortex. So right, he's somewhere. He's yeah, somewhere no, else. it's so it's not it's, necessarily. It's explainable. Yeah, it's not necessarily meant to be the same time as where Martha is. You know that. So, which is kind right. of also where the time um, crash episode takes place too. Is sort of this. Right. Right. Space between times. So yeah, and he has his shields down and apparently um, crashes into the ship on Christmas Day. We we get to see David Tennant in a tux again. Um, Always, I, always a good thing. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I'm sure you're happy about. Um, uh, and, and, well, he, at first, he just sort of seems lost. I mean, he's just kind of like, he's, you know, well, I mean, he gets into the ship and he's in his tux and he's just kind of wandering around. He's not mm-hmm. really doing much. Um, I love the way he looks at those angels when he first sees them. He's like, oh no. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. more more evil angels and yeah. you just know the angels yeah. are going to be the bad guys this yeah. time like yeah, this yeah. like just the way he looks at them you just know up front i i, I was watching i'm like oh yeah there's those okay it's like oh guys. i think we found our monster of the week in like yeah. the first two minutes yeah. yeah 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 i mean you can't i mean okay blink was a few episodes ago now but like still you, you it's still on your mind you're as soon yeah. as you see the angel um yeah, and I suppose and I kind mean, of, it could have been a fake out, but yeah. Well, they also kind of harken back to the the robotic Santas from the last couple Christmas specials sure. too. You know, they right. kind of have a little bit of that. So it's kind of a mix of a few different things. But we, we didn't get any menacing Christmas trees this time. No, it's true. It's true. Um, we did get other. There are a couple Christmas traditions though, like. Um, the fact that it doesn't ever really snow. The snow is always fake, yeah. you know. Or... Yeah, it's a, there's always some like <laughs> extenuating circumstance that makes a snow like yeah. substance fall from the sky. Right, right. <laughs> um, um, and and uh, and of course the the spaceships which are hovering and or crashing over London is a bit of a running theme too on Christmas right, Day. Right. Um, it's which a they even which they even point out. You know the fact that. 
pretty much right. everyone has deserted London, you know, because <laughs> yeah. they're afraid yeah. something bad is going to happen. And sure enough. <laughs> yep. No, I think so. Um, a nice little fake out with the Titanic, though, just even, you know, the fact that it is a spaceship because you get the you, you get the life preserver falling into the TARDIS. Yeah. And then it, you like it wasn't until the second time I watched it, like which is like the fourth time now that I've seen the life preserver fall in because I saw it at right. the end of the last episode. I saw it in the time, time crash, crash yeah. ep- episode, you know, uh, short. And then like I saw it again this time. Yeah. And then the second time I saw this episode, I was like, wait. Why is there a life preserver on a spaceship? <laughs> it's like, yeah. it, it took me all those times to see it to sort of come to that. To say, like, but, why do they even have... But, I mean, the, I think the the idea, the point well, being that it's... It's they're, they're, it's almost like getting an old-timey photograph. Like, it's meant to be a cruise which celebrates the antiquated cultures of Earth. Right, right. So they're it's kind like of a, consciously you know molding their design around the titanic without realizing the significance right. of that <laughs> well and then you see that in the in the bridge they have a big wheel you know like yeah which yeah makes no sense on a spaceship either, right and that right kind of thing, you know like so so i mean you do get those you know sort of the reconstructed look and feel of of um you know of of the ship but i i love um well, I, and we're talking about the doctor. Yeah. So, um, so yeah. So he's just kind of, I, I, you know, it just becomes one of those. And of course, wherever he goes, he always gets embroiled. But this is truly like, it seems like most of the other places that he's gone mm. have had some sort of purpose, either to show someone something or because he wanted to witness something. Mm-hmm. But this was truly an accident. Yeah. He just completely stumbled. You know, or the TARDIS took him somewhere, you know. Right. Uh, you, you know, for some reason or another. Yeah. Um This is just, he, he's there. He, I mean, mm-hmm. he sort of crashed into the thing and so now he's there. And, and he doesn't really seem to know what to do with himself for the first, like, 20 minutes of the episode. Yeah, <laughs> but, yeah, yeah. Uh, maybe, maybe not that long. But, you know, he finds Astrid and kind of chats her up a bit. Yeah. And, and and sort of takes a look around and and you know sees the the video with Max and you know kind of I don't know it's just kind of a weird opening um, given that sort of lack of purpose of being there because you always do sort of get yeah you know other other explanations for why he's in a particular place in time and this one it's just he's just there yeah so. I, I don't I don't have any big thing to say it, about that. It's just it seemed different. It seemed odd. It seemed a little strange. Um not in a bad way, just not yeah, it's just, not your right. typical uh sort of opening to an episode. Yeah, no, that's true. And and I think too that I think too of the Christmas specials that we've had, this one is the most sort of standalone. Because I think you mentioned like in the Christmas invasion he had Rose and it really led straight on from the parting of the ways, you know, that it's the continuation Mm -hmm. of that story. And then even though the runaway bride introduced a new guest cast, like this one does, like the old cast left Mm -hmm. and he has, you know, in some ways the runaway bride is like this in that there's the guest star companion and her supporting cast um, that are gone by the end of the episode, you still have a sense of continuation that, that 
it's him dealing with the aftermath of Doomsday or whatever. So even though right. the adventure is separate, you still have more of an emotional through line between the two episodes. Whereas mm -hmm. I think you're right. This one is more truly, you know, separate, you know. And again, not that, not to say that the things that there won't continue to be continuity with past seasons and everything. But I think that is a departure that he is more alone this time, which is interesting after mm -hmm. we've spent the last episode talking about how everyone left him. So it kind of seems right, right, right that he is more alone this episode. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and he reiterates it at the end of the episode with uh copper. Yeah you know, I travel alone. But of course this is right after he was going to be traveling with right. Astrid. So right. like, and loses her and, and isn't able to save her. So, yeah. Um, yeah. So you're not quite so, sure yeah. when he says it's best that way, you know, does right. he really mean that? Or, you know, or I is mean, it just, it's, it's like the, yeah. You know, you, you, you make some mistake and you're like, Oh no, I like it. That yeah, way. exactly. You know, I, 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 I burnt my toast. No, I like burnt toast. Yeah. You know, like, you know, that yeah. sort of thing. I meant like, to do that. Yeah. 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 It's, it's a preference, not a mistake. Yeah. Um, but so, you know, but even, even given that, I mean, obviously he, he, he meets with Astrid and, and I like that. So I, well, all right, I'm going to just be upfront. Yes. I'm not, I don't really know any, I mean, I know of Kylie Minogue. Okay. I don't really know anything about what she's, done other than that she was a pop singer is still i guess a pop singer yeah um i can't say that i'm a huge fan of her acting no, um yeah. but you know i think it's, that's fair <laughs> it, it, it's okay um so we'll just get that out of the way up front yeah no um, i think it, she is it, you know you get that sense of a guest actor more so than sure. than even some of the other guest actors, you know, like mm. even some of the other ones who have been one-time companions, like, you know, Madame de Pompadour or Sally Sparrow, you know, I mean, sure, they're sure. in a way they're guest actors too, but I think, you know, it doesn't take an acting, you know, genius to see the difference between, you know, what, uh, what Carrie Mulligan can do and what Kylie Minogue can do. So it was just like, on the one hand, I don't want to be too hard on her because I think her job is to be the guest companion for the episode, but you're not necessarily, you know, begging for her to go with the doctor at the end. Um, right. Right. Um, but anyway, I mean, we should probably finish talking about the doctor before we switch over to Astrid, but yeah, well, I, I mean, up until, up until he sort of meets Astrid is that's sort of when his wandering stops, right? Because then he meets her and is like, Oh, come with me. I can, you know, take you to earth. And, right. Because immediately you know, when, so like, when he's on his own, there isn't much point. Whereas as soon as the point is to meet someone and to say, look what I can show you. Right. That like, yeah. that seems to be that that is the point and stuff starts to happen when he meets that person, you know, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right right it's it's the well and there's that whole you know like he's explaining oh you you want to you know see all these different things and and she's like oh yeah you know oh you can read my mind yeah yeah, yeah. and 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 
you know, uh, talking, you dreamt of another sky, you know, he says new sun, new air, new life, a whole new, a whole universe teeming with life. Uh, why still stand still when there's all that life out there? But that's exactly sort of like the point is like what you were just saying. Mm. Like he, he doesn't, he's not out doing that. Mm. He, he's wandering around a ballroom. Yeah, <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? Like, which I guess I, I, I shouldn't knock that. I mean, I guess in some way he's sort of observing things, but it's not like, you know, it's not like when he's saying to, you know, whomever there's a, uh, you know, supernova happening in the, what's it's galaxy. Yeah, yeah. And let's go look at it, yeah. you know, and, and see what, like, He's looking at a ballroom party, <laughs> you know, like it's just not. Yeah. And I think, I think the. The sort of grandiose thing that you might expect. Well, I think that's okay. So I've, I've two thoughts on that. Uh, one being, I think the main difference is the element of the companion that things seem pointless without the companion, you know, that there's a, a lost quality, you know, that the story hasn't really started, you know, until he can find someone to share it with. That seems to be kind of the idea. Um, but also, I think it kind of, you know, the idea of the Titanic and this sort of, you know, because it's the the Titanic, you're always going to have these issues of upper class versus steerage and everything. And I think there's a little theme in this episode with, like, I, I hesitate to call it the wealth gap because this is actually getting in a little early on, this is 2007, so we're almost a year away from the recession. So I don't, I don't want to say this was trying to be topical or anything, but I, I do think there's this running theme in the episode of the, the rich versus the kind of, or, or you know, the selfless or the selfish rich, you know, the, the Ricks and Slades and the, the um, Max Capricorns who sort of are superficial and do build these grandiose, you know, ships which are destined to sink and all those kinds of things. And the the kind of penniless dreamers, I'll call them, the ones who feel like they've wasted their lives, but they're dreaming of something more. So you get Astrid and Copper and the Van Hoffs, you know, who are all sort of talk about how they've wasted their lives but they're you know kind of just excited to explore the universe and the doctor's always going to be drawn to that right like mm -hmm. him looking around a gilded ballroom doesn't fit right what fits is him showing the penniless dreamer let me show you the wonders of the universe that that's where he sort of is naturally allied i think so maybe sure. part of part of the setting is a little jarring because it doesn't seem like the doctor's kind of setting. You know, like a ballroom cocktail party isn't really his style at all. Um, mm. And now if he has someone to show it to, that could potentially be, you know, it kind of doesn't matter what he's showing them if he has, you know, the companion. But, you know, once he, well, once he has asked, see that with... they can go down and look at the smelly, deserted street, and it's wonderful. So the point seems to be you know, who he's with, not, you know. Yeah. Well, and, and, and I was just gonna say, we, we sort of see that with the Lazarus experiment, right. Is, you know, he's with Martha and going to the exciting thing yeah. where they're going to change the course of humanity and all of that. So like, 
Yeah, I, 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 I see what you're saying. So in that respect, and so he does take Astrid down and uses his psychic paper. And, and it's sort of a motley crew that goes down, right? So it's him and Astrid and Copper, mm-hmm. who's the tour guide, and some whatever that yeah. guy's name is. Raxicalico Velopatorius. Yeah. See, I can still say there that. I don't know that I can say... Uh, Banna Sure. Whatever. Cappuccino. Um, <laughs> anyway, the... So, yeah, the... the But it is, yeah, again, sort of a motley crew that goes down. And, and I mean, there's others in there, but we don't really know them. So... Yeah. Um, you know, but it's the cyborg and the old guy who sort of wheedled his way, you know, with his less than stellar... Mm-hmm. Um, uh, 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 credentials, yeah. <laughs> so to speak, and um, and the ma- and well, or the waitress or whatever, and 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 of course the doctor, uh, and yeah, who do they go to? Well, of course, the only person who's on the planet, <laughs> or in London, in London anyway, yeah. not on the planet, but in London, um, which is the poor newspaper guy yeah. who is there, like you know sort of saying he's showing solidarity with the queen, but then you also have to ask, maybe he just didn't have enough money to leave town. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know what I mean? That is a distinct like, possibility, yeah. Uh, you know, but who is that? Who exactly is he selling newspapers to if everybody Right, but it's more just an act of defiance, right? I won't be bowed by these alien invaders, and if the queen's going to stay, so am I, you know, that kind of keep calm, carry on British thing you know but um but i did want to point him out um he actually has a name which they didn't mention i don't think he ever says his name but uh his name is wilfred mott um and the character's name and uh i want to make sure we mention him because we're going to see him again so um this is just a little introduction for him but and uh and i think you know we can remember his sort of defiant stoic British spirit, because that says something about his character, you know, I mean, it's not hugely important for the episode, but since we're going to see him again, you know, it might be worth kind of taking some notice of what kind of a, you know, person he is. So. Um, so yeah, so I, I guess, um, well, and then and then they get sort of their their trip is cut off, right? So yeah. it's, it's it's truncated because of the power surges or whatever they're having, and uh, and that's when things start to go downhill. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and that's uh, yeah. I mean, and without getting into it too much, the I think the the kind of clever conceit of the episode is that this is a disaster movie. This is this is this is one of those things like when Doctor Who does genre X, right? Like, this is Doctor Who Mm -hmm. does the disaster movie. So this is Titanic or the Poseidon Adventure or whatever, where you have a large ensemble cast stuck in a place, disaster strikes, they have to climb through it, and one by one, they get killed off. And you get your, like, nice, good-natured supporting cast, and then you just watch them die as the episode Mm. goes on. So... You know, but with the with the kind of Doctor Who twist of asteroids rather than icebergs and, you know, all these sorts of things. So, yeah, yeah. So I guess um, 
I guess we're meant to believe that the captain was paid off by Max. I mean, yeah. he never really says. I think like, so. Yeah, I think so. Who, who, um, you know, gives his family money. But then you have to wonder, like, did he ever do it? Because Max dies in the end, too. Like, so does the captain's family ever actually get any money out of this? I don't, I don't know. know. I don't know. Um, and. Uh, I not tell you, but yeah, that's the idea, I think. Um, and, and of course, then, and we get introduced to midshipman frame, Mm uh, who, who tries to stand up, but he's so green. Um, (laughs) and we even get the, the captain sort of lamenting that fact, but not letting it sway his, you know, course of action. It's too late Um, to go back. Yeah. But, but yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, so like, I'm not sure. I think part of the thing that I'm struggling with is because, we only have the doctor and we don't really get to know all of these characters real well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we've talked before about how hard it is to do. And, and granted this was a little bit longer than normal episode. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, okay. But like, you don't really get to know any one character that well. Yeah. Um, ex- I, you know, maybe Astrid the best mm-hmm. just because, she is sort of that stand in for the, the companion in this episode and, and, and the would be. Yeah. Or, or perhaps erstwhile, you know, she is perhaps for a time, <laughs> a very brief time, but you know, at least sort of accompanies the doctor and, and tries to save him and does save him, um, you know, in, in the end. So um, I guess I'm just not sure what to make of her other than, than sort of the obvious of, of, you know, he does seem to at least inspire something in her mm-hmm. um, by taking her down to Earth. And, and even, you know, and it and. And I like that, you know, you have the doctor like she thinks it's wonderful and the doctor's like, it's a street. Yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> you know, like there's nothing here. And she's like, but no, we're on an alien planet and this is fantastic. And and all of these things and and. Just that sort of little taste, I guess you do sort of see, um, you know, the the inspiration that he can give her uh, come to some sort of fruition because then she's the one who wants to go back and, and convinces Frame to transport her to deck 31. Mm-hmm. Did I get that number right? Yeah. And, uh, you know, um, and then ultimately to sacrifice herself yeah for the doctor yeah um which is another theme which is running through a lot of people in this episode sacrifice themselves you know they're not just getting cut down by the host it's it's yeah you know there's a lot of active decision self-sacrifice making um but i think i think that's true and i mean part of it you know part of it we can probably say okay Kylie Minogue, you know, maybe if a different actor had played her, we would feel that she had more depth, you know, or, you know, but part of it, I don't even know that she's written with that much depth because it seems to me that she, the point of her seems to be what happens to her in the end, that there's nothing that distinctive about her as a character, you know, like, you know, that made her unique in the way that, that, uh, 
Rose was or Martha was or something, or even some of those other guest ones like Madame de Pompadour, you know, that they felt more fleshed out individuals. Whereas mm -hmm. she seems to be the kind of prototype of what the good companion should be, you know, in a, in a very broad and almost superficial sense that she's kind of plucky working class dreamer, you know, that, you know, <laughs> you know, she's dreaming of, she's kind of like Rose, but with less personality, right? Like, you know, she, it, she kind of reminds you of someone who worked, you know, the, the, the dead end job and always sort of aspire, maybe, didn't really aspire to more in the sense that Martha did, you know, didn't really work her way up, but like is living this sort of only half fulfilled life. And, you know, and she'd be exactly the kind of person that the doctor is looking for, you know, that it, pretty clearly, I think you get, it doesn't take too long before you realize, Oh, this is the, this is the companion, right? This is the one who is going to love to travel right. with him and he's going to love to travel with her. But, you know, all of that is completely a setup for, you know, her fate in the end, you know, which is kind of new, I think. I mean, now he lost, he lost Rose and we kind of talked about that as a sort of medical, a metaphorical death. But, you know, I think it's, I think it's, what is unique about her is to have her set up as this sort of ideal companion and then to have her die at the end you know that she becomes one of the supporting cast which are lost over the course of the episode so mm. um i don't know quite where to go after that but i think that yeah i mean i, I think well, her personality is less important than her sort of status as the would-be companion if that makes sense. Right. No, I, I do. I do think that makes sense. I, I, and I can see sort of that same thing, even with the other folks who die, who are not necessarily going to be companions. Mm -hmm. So like thinking of Marvin and Foon, uh, -huh. uh, you know, they're also, well, I mean, yes, they're robotics, but you get the sense that like, robotics technician is a blue collar job, right? You even yeah, see like the yeah. engineer who's working on the host down in, in wherever that is. Like, it's not, it's not like a, you know, well-paying sciencey type of job that we might yeah, think of yeah. it as today. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's very well, much, you know, a, a working class uh, thing. And, and they're kind of the weird, you know, they're only there because they won a yeah. contest. Which I take as a little homage to DiCaprio in Titanic. Because uh, yeah. he won his his right. his ticket in a card game. So Right. Yeah, and could be. And so, um, and they, you know, they don't dress or eat or whatever at, like the other guests do. Yeah. Um, uh, or look, you yeah. know, like the other yeah. guests do. Um, you know, so, and same thing with Bonnikov, <laughs> uh -huh. um, you know, he, he's a cyborg and, and I, you know, I think the other, you know, talking about the characters, not necessarily having really well fleshed out sort of backgrounds. I mean, I think same thing. It's like, oh, okay. So cyborgs are 
are you know discriminated against in some way yeah. and it sort of becomes like a plot excuse yeah um you know for certain things but uh okay that's fine um he's a cyborg he's small yeah whatever um well just and then even with uh, sorry, sorry and then i was just saying with copper too you know he's he also right right he's He's the armchair academic. Yeah. He's, you know, he's like the guy who got something off of Wikipedia yeah. and just repeats it, you know, you know, and, and somehow he got a job doing that. <laughs> you know, it's not, yeah. you know, he, he's not really a historian of any repute or anything like no. that. So, um, no, I like his, they worship Santa and his wife Mary and they they go to war with the turkey people and eat them like savages and yeah you know, yeah yeah that was cute Santa had had big claws yeah 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 <laughs> um yeah no and and right and there's obviously you know elements of I don't know truth is the right word but there, you know it's like you just he took Tolkien's mythic soup and just stirred it all up and <laughs> yeah. you know was pulling bits out of yeah. it um anyway so so i can you can definitely see that same sort of like um idea i guess is just what i'm saying in in sort of those characters who come about but even even in uh rixton there yeah you know slade he's you know again okay he's mr wealthy guy Mm -hmm. who has lots of money and he's a big jerk and and whatever but it's like there's no depth to his character. Right, right. So, no, and, and actually, um, I don't... These are very cookie-cutter. Yeah, you know, yeah, tight. and I... A couple things. I don't... I want to backtrack, because I think I made it sound like... Uh, that I made it more of a class thing than I meant to. I don't mean to say that the Doctor likes Astrid because she's working class. I think what's more key to it is this sense of unfulfilled potential. That... You know, because Martha was in medical school, you know, on her way to a very, right. and you know, they successful... they definitely seem more it, it's, upper middle class. Yeah, so I don't think it's yeah. so much... I don't mean to say that he cares about, you know, where you fall in the, you know, in the in the percentages, but but more a sense of unsatisfied desires, that the desire outstrips what satisfaction you've had up to that point. I think that's what, that's what we can see in common between Rose and Martha and Astrid is wherever they are Mm -hmm. in their lives, there's this sort of untapped potential, you know, and which might have something to do with their jobs, but it might just have to do with, in Martha's case, you know, the way their life is being lived, you know, up to that point. So I think that's more, key but i mean you're right like we don't yeah and again i think that's the nature of a the christmas special and b the disaster movie genre is like we're not these aren't hugely developed characters these are these are cannon fodder you know these are red shirts who are going to be systematically you know destroyed one by one um right sucked out of the door or falling into the engine or whatever right yeah Um, but what it does do, you know, since I think, like you said, like the doctor's really the only character we know at any depth. So I think instead of really, uh, needing to look too much at the characters who we are never going to see again, you know, I think what's interesting about 
having this episode where not only does a companion die, but lots of his friends do, you know, pretty, he promises he's going to get them out and most of them die. So I think Mm -hmm. what's interesting about it is it, the effect of that on him, you know, because he's the character that we're following and that's developing. So you get this kind of bloodbath, (laughs) you know, for want of a better term where, you know, I mean, most of the ship dies either in the meteor storm or by the host. And then of the small band of survivors, which he's leading, most of them die too. Um, And in fact, of the couple that survive, one of them is Rixton, who, as Copper points out, is the one you least care. You know, he's the least sympathetic character. Um, Mm. You know, so I think more interesting than the characters themselves is the effect of that story on the doctor. And I think you get, I think you, I mean, cause I mean, we've seen the doctor for several seasons now, so he's no stranger to death. You know, it's not like he's never lost a person before, but in, I think what the development that we've seen, I think you do get a new sense of just mounting frustration in this, mm-hmm. you know, in this episode, but I think cumulatively over the couple seasons of, you know, I think of when Foon jumps off and he says, no more, like, I'm sick and tired of this, not happening again. And of course it does. Um, and then mm-hmm. I think the most revealing moment is him trying to bring Astrid back. And that moment where he lashes out and says, I can do anything, you know, that he is running up against his own limitations and in the Mm -hmm. end he can't do everything he can't you know reverse death and copper kind of points out that it would be wrong if he could so Mm. um that's kind of that's the takeaway for me is all of this is just window dressing for the development of the doctor but and and you know, your point about, you know, him seeing potential in people makes makes sense in that context, I think, because if it's, you know, one after another who's who's dying, that's potential becoming unrealized yeah. and unable to ever be realized, yeah. uh, I think, is is where that gets. And so that's where we get to that point of at the end with him and copper and they're on earth and copper's the last one. I I mean, there's the midshipman is still with the ship and presumably gets saved along with the, with Slade and whoever else might still be alive. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, so I mean, okay, they could potentially, I guess, go on to do something, but copper being sort of the last of the company with him is who the doctor pushes away. And, you know, if Slade's the one we least like, Copper's probably the one who has the least potential because he's old. Yeah. And and he even says himself he wouldn't last 10 years. Yeah. You know, and I mean, whether we take that to be accurate or not, yeah. you know, that he seems to believe that, you know, so he's nearing the end of his life. And also he's apparently got some money, so he'll be all right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like he's not, it's not like he's going to suffer on earth. He, he'll spend his last years living comfortably and, mm-hmm. and 
doesn't really have anything else to aspire to at this point. So, you know, it does like, you can see that frustration being, um, in that context of, of not just potential, but of, of unrealizable potential, you know, which I guess is an oxymoron because Mm -hmm. it's not potential if, if it's, if it no longer can ever be realized. Right. It's sort of potential, Um, which has been snuffed out. It's stifled. Yeah. 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 So, um, and um, I guess I think, to contrast I think that, we, we should. should pro- I think we should remember this conversation and put it in the back of our minds. So okay. I'll just say that. Uh, well, I was just going to say, I mean, of course, the contrast there, or at least we need to bring in, I guess, Max Capricorn, who sort of sets this whole thing up, because there's also, I guess, a sort of loss of potential there or, or a misplaced potential, because you see that he's created this great ship and you see that he's you know, apparently been running a company that was at one point fairly successful. I mean, he built it up. Yeah. Um, but then what did he use his talent to do? It's for destructive purposes, mm-hmm. right? And to kill people and to um, not just kill people, but to do it spectacularly and in a way that kills way more people than he needs to if he needs yeah. to kill anyone. That's kind of a weird way of saying that. But, right. you know... To accomplish his goal anyway to, um, you know, he kills way more people than is is necessary to accomplish that goal. And he, um, he, he, you know, is doing it so that he would destroy even more lives back, you know, on where wherever he's from. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's just like this, you know, talk about lost potential. Mm. You know, I mean, he could have done something great yeah. that would have been beneficial yeah. to everybody but instead he he just wants to destroy and destroy and destroy even more because he was slighted after having this company for over a hundred years like you know what i mean like right. it's it, you know such a silly excuse it seems but um but yeah so i mean i you know i i think that works as a as an explanation of 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 the idea of potential and frustration at realizing it'll never come about. And I think that that's something that just sort of generally speaking is a part of life. It's, you know, there's that moment where every kid realizes they're not going to be, you know, the sports star or the (laughs) rock star or, you know, whatever. I mean, I suppose some people never realize that, (laughs) you know, and keep living the dream in some respect. But, you know, most people go through that moment when they realize, yeah, you know what, I I may not actually be able to be the thing I desperately want to believe. And and so what do you do with that? It, do you continue anyway? Right. And is that a bad thing right. if you do? Or do you give up? And is that a good thing? Or is it a bad thing? Or is there even a universal answer to those questions? Right, that, right. You know, and I mean, my answer would be to set up against Max Capricorn, Mr. Copper, who in the end, after he says he wasted his life and he's at retirement with nothing to show for it, what does he aspire to? Simple domestic things. When he has realizes he has money and can retire comfortably, he mm. skips off thinking about I could have a house with a garden with and a garden, like that yeah. and, and it you kind of are think of Astrid who's excited just by a smelly alien street that you know, that there's 
there's more to having, I think the question of what constitutes a fulfilled or satisfying life and what, you know, potential doesn't just have to mean potential for great things, although it can mean that, you know, it can also mean, sure. it can also mean having, having a life which is, you know, satisfying and that could mean lots of different things, you know, right. so. right. I think that is a little running theme. And I think uh, some of those things, I don't, I want to be careful because I don't want to be too pointed about flagging what I think is important. But I think mm. those are good things to be thinking about as we go into the next season. Because um, sure. as much as this is the kind of one-off Christmas special, it is kind of setting up, quietly setting up little themes which are going to come back. Just as, you know, I think... Maybe on first glance, The Runaway Bride didn't seem to have a lot to do with season three, but actually when you get to the end, you realize how much it did set up, you know, um, little motifs and plot points and things. So um, sure. Makes I sense. think this one, without going into too much detail, I think this episode does that too. Well, wow. I guess we're, we're off to a fresh start, though, because yeah. the doctor is once more by himself. Yes, yes. And, yeah, he, uh, I travel alone. It's better that way. And Copper says, or he says, where are you going? No idea. Nah, me neither. <laughs> so that's where we are, which is kind of where we were last Christmas. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Well, I guess we'll find out next week. We will. <laughs> I know. Um, well, luckily, luckily we don't have to wait. Luckily, we don't have to wait for four months or whatever they would normally have to wait before the season starts. We can just plow right on. Right. 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 Um, any, any final oh, you know thoughts? What? I do have a final thought. I want to say that, you know, for whatever it's worth, for whatever reason, whether this was because of Kylie Minogue or whatever, this is the highest rated new who episode in terms of viewers. Um, mm. Still. Mm. Um, and, and that's in the UK. I want to be clear because once you add in international figures, I'm sure that becomes a different thing, especially when, you know, you get to global simulcasts, which really aren't a thing at this point. At this point, I'm just strictly talking about the UK, but they had um, 13.8 mm -hmm. million viewers in the UK, which okay. is pretty big for any country and especially for as small as the UK. That's like an, a pretty sure. large chunk of the population. So yeah. just to point that out, that... It, that's a record in 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 the country which has yet to be beaten. Um, so you can kind of see mm. that the show was getting more and more popular and sort of, you know, maybe when you throw in Christmas, you throw in Kylie Minogue, and it just sort of becomes a big Perfect a big storm. you know event for people to watch. But um, yeah, just sort of well, a it's... little interesting thing to note. Yeah. Cool. Well, all right. I guess uh, at this point we will we'll, we'll, we'll move on and uh, be back next week with the first sort of official episode of season four. Yep, yep. Sounds good. So. See you then. Mm -hmm.